So we reach the Upositor day again. Following the conventions of our society and the monastic conventions every 14 or 15 days we come together to hear the recitation of the Patimoka rules either on the new moon or the full moon day and we follow the convention of time one day 24 hour cycle of the sun as the earth moves spins and the sun appears in the sky and then we go to darkness and the moon comes up the sky is clear as humans we use the convention of time calendars cycle of the moon and the sun the skillful means to help us organize society organize our lives it points to the impermanent transient nature of our existence is constantly changing our lives is constantly changing our bodies, our minds the sun rises gives us heat at this time of year great heat that heat's necessary for life to grow photosynthesis to take place animals eat the plants the earth heats up temperature changes <coughs> water evaporates yet rain the moon has an effect on the earth's gravity of the moon affects the oceans, the tides, the currents the earth, the moon, the sun all have a certain relationship but also changing all the time cycles of time, seasons, weather patterns, so on it's also the convention of New Year, Chinese New Year, Year of the Dragon. We use these conventions to our advantage to help run things, organize things for the benefit of society and to reflect on the changing passing of time 
reflection on impermanence. This is the heart of the development of wisdom, right view, contemplating the universal characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anatta, the transient nature of this world, of our existence as human beings, our experiences of pleasure, pain, people who we know, people being born, aging, passing away, This is right view, understanding is coming to accept the anicca, dukkha, anatta of existence and the material and mental phenomena that we come into contact with as human beings. We have to learn how to train the mind to reflect wisely, develop mindfulness, and wise reflection in order for samadhi to arise, right view, right understanding to arise. We have to train. Listening to Dhamma, contemplating it, bringing it inside, training our own views, ways of looking at the world with wisdom. practice, training in wise reflection. It doesn't always come easily as human beings. We're often caught into different emotions and attachments, different prejudices and preferences which color our mind and our thinking, our view, and often lead us to stray from truth. We don't always see a Nietzsche dukkha anatta in phenomena. We grasp at things as self. We take things that are impermanent to be permanent. We look for sukha in that which is inherently dukkha and so on. We get caught into delusion and wrong views all the time. So the Buddha encouraged us to reflect on things, develop wisdom through listening to the teachings and then contemplating them, developing yoniso manasikara, wisely attending to our experience as human beings rather than just always reacting to things or following along with our experience without really looking more deeply at the truth of things. So he said, just as in the morning prior to the sunrise, you see light on the horizon, the rays of light. Not the sun not yet risen, but the the sky starts to light up light up. Just as that light is the forerunner of sunrise, as soon as there's light you know the sun will rise. It's never any other way. Similarly, yoniso manasikara, or wise attention, wise reflection on our experience, is the forerunner of the rising of wisdom. 
samadhiti, right view, insight. That's a quality we have to train in externally through listening and gaining Dhamma and internally training in what you might call the internal Dhamma eye your viewing experience bringing mindfulness and wisdom into the mind so that we view our experience correctly think about experience correctly and this is what allows the mind to free itself from suffering The whole Buddhist path, the Buddhist teaching, is based on the insight the Buddha had. The human mind is inherently radiant, undefiled. You might say without suffering. Suffering is not a fixed experience that has to be. Suffering arises through defilement, kilesa, coming into the mind, arising in our experience, leading to craving, attachment, which leads to suffering. But all of these are impermanent, unstable, not self. This is why we can train to free the mind from suffering, purify it through development of right view, right understanding. The mind has that potential, the human mind. And the Buddha would bring practitioners back to this point over and over again. Just as we start a new year, we say New Year's Day, whether it's Western New Year, Chinese New Year, Thai New Year. Well, similarly, the mind is starting afresh. Every moment of consciousness arising is a fresh moment of consciousness, a fresh state of mind, a fresh mind state. And with each moment, we have the opportunity for right view to arise by attending to our experience with mindfulness, with wisdom, using Dhamma that we've learnt and applying it to what's going on in our life. Whether it's externally, just how we are relating to the world, what we're doing, other people, the environment and so on. Or internally, how we're feeling, what we're thinking, our intentions and so on. Every moment is a new moment in that sense. Every moment arises afresh and there's an opportunity for sati and panya to arise, to come into the mind, even if previously the mind has been caught into moments of defilement, greed, anger, delusion, confusing it, bringing up experiences of suffering and attachment. There's always the potential for the Dhamma to arise in each new moment of the mind. And just as a new year can be an opportunity to determine oneself, to practice more, do more good for oneself, for others, 
each moment of mind consciousness can be a new opportunity to bring Dhamma into the mind, into the heart, to change old habits, old ways of thinking, let go of Kilesa, transcend Kilesa. This is the Buddha's message and this can be done. Human beings have that potential and so it is worth practicing. It is worth putting effort into developing mindfulness, wisdom, samadhi, sila samadhi panya, the different aspects of the path, the Eightfold Path. It is worth doing it because it can lead to liberation from suffering, the purification of the mind and the heart. The very last arahant to arise in the life of our Buddha, Gautama the Buddha, the Subhadda, Subhadda the renunciant who the Buddha in his wisdom and compassion, even though he was 80 years old and ill and walking towards a place where he could die, he still had the insight the awareness that there was somebody ripe for the teaching who would understand his teaching and benefit from it. That was Subhata. Came to see him as he was lying sick near Kusinara and, and the Buddha didn't turn him away because he was sick. He let him speak to him, ask his questions, even though Ananda had more doubts. His assistant wasn't so keen on the questioning. But the Buddha, in his insight, knew this person will actually listen and reflect wisely on the Dhamma that he hears. It's worth teaching this person. Out of compassion, he heard his questions and discussed the Dhamma with him. Subhata asked, is there any teaching outside of Buddhism or the Buddhist path that will lead one to Nibbana, that will bring human beings to become arahants through the practice? As the Buddha explained, the, the Eightfold Path is necessary to bring a human being to the end of suffering, to purify the mind from defilement, to experience the fruits of arahantship, magapala, nibbana. Outside of the Eightfold Path, there are no beings who have realized nibbana. Just as there's no, if you tread on the air, put your foot in the sky or in the air, it leaves no trace, no footprint. Similarly, there's no arahant outside of the Eightfold Path. And 
Subhata was contemplating this. This is, was enough for, to arouse faith, confidence in the Dhamma that he had heard. And this is the true path, Eightfold Path, Sila Samadhi Panya, that leads to the abandonment of defilement, the purification of mind through insight. And he went away motivated, inspired to practice the very last night of the Buddha's life, Subhata's sitting, walking meditation in contemplating and saw the moonlight, the moon, the bright moon, contemplating the way the moon is. On a, on a night of a full moon, it's bright, and then when clouds pass in front of it, becomes darkened then the clouds move away again it returns to bright radiant light now the human mind is the same due to the effect of different mental objects we experience sense contact all the time in our life through eyes ears nose tongue through the body which gives rise to pleasurable painful experiences which give rise to craving and attachment mental proliferation just like these dark clouds that come in front of the the moon our sense contact feeling craving arising gives rise to different moods mental proliferation attachment suffering but the mind itself is not the same as that suffering, that attachment, that suffering. It's separate from it. Temporarily is covered over by craving attachment, mental proliferation, moods and so on. But these are all un impermanent experiences which arise, pass away, and the mind returns to purity. But through the power of our ignorance and this conditioning process, then fresh experiences pleasant, unpleasant even neutral experiences they condition more craving and attachment like more clouds coming to cover over the moon the mind is covered over by the arising of kalesa greed, anger, delusion in different forms contemplating this you can see well the way to free the mind is to bring up mindfulness and then right view insight into the nature of that which covers over the brightness of the mind and brings suffering it contemplate it as an dukkha anatta little by little to abandon these kalesas which are like the dark clouds on the covering the moon's light If one is diligent enough, ardent enough, earnest enough, then that process of abandoning kalesa little by little, the mind's brightness becomes more and more prominent, more sustained, and the blemishes become less, less often and less intense until maybe one day they're completely removed and the mind just remains pure and bright, stable, undefiled. 
say the mind of an arahant. Or you could look at it you know, in many, the many similes you could have for this. Another one might be a forest path. You clear a forest path of leaves and twigs. You know, in the beginning the path is clear. Then over time with the wind blowing, leaves and twigs fall down, make the path messy. So we go along, we sweep, we blow the leaves and the twigs off, get back to the clean path. And then if we leave it unguarded, unmanaged, then the twigs and the leaves come back again. If you completely neglect a forest path, then after a while the leaves, the twigs, cover it over completely and maybe weeds grow and then it's maybe no longer recognizable as a path anymore. It's gone back to its original forest. It's like the mind when defilements come up so often, so habitually, and we don't watch over the mind with mindfulness and wisdom, we don't clean it up through the power of the Eightfold Path, then it can become so defiled that it's so normal that we don't know anything else and don't realize there is anything else. The inherent brightness of the mind is lost until maybe somebody skillful comes along and points it out to us, reminds us or points it out to us. Until that moment, maybe the mind becomes so covered over, so dark, that we just don't realize there's anything else. It's like a forest path that's gone back to just being completely covered in leaves and twigs. So our practice is to develop these factors of the Eightfold Path through our own efforts. You know, the very, that very last teaching the Buddha gave, taught Subhata, who became an arahant that night, it's the final arahant of the 80 arahants in the life of the Buddha, or the 80 uh, leading foremost arahants. The final one, he became enlightened. And the Buddha's final teaching is all phenomena are impermanent. All conditions are impermanent because you should strive on with heedfulness, diligence, apamada. Apamada, the, the essence of apamada, heedfulness, diligence is the development of the path, not straying from the path, not giving up, stopping, not losing one's way, not getting caught up in distractions, not stopping and sort of going off distracted with some other non-related business, getting caught up in the world again. You're one who is following the, the final teaching of the Buddha strives on with earnestness, sincerely practicing heedfulness, developing this quality of guarding over the mind to be alert to when defilement is arising. You know, when one's really alert, one has 
sharp mindfulness, maybe a defilement hasn't arisen yet, but we just know it's coming. We can see the causes and conditions in place, so we're already guarding against it. You know, one of the four right efforts, the effort to prevent unwholesome dhammas that are unarisen from arising. So that means learning through experience how kilesa and hindrances and unwholesome states of mind arise. Actually learn. And one becomes sharp enough through the practice of heedfulness, mindfulness and wisdom that one can see a kilesa coming a long way off. You maybe, as it, in the old days, you head it off at the pass before it's even come up in the mind. You can see it forming and you stop. If it's in our behavior, external behavior, then you maybe put a break on your speech when you can see Kalesa coming into your speech through some form of greed or jealousy or anger or whatever, or your actions. You're starting to act through Kalesa in some inappropriate way, maybe. You can see the intention coming and you put a break on it and don't act in that way, you don't speak those words. Or when we get more experience, maybe even mentally just stop Kalesa arising before it's arisen. Just know the mind is starting to dwell on a certain subject matter that will lead to the arising of Kalesa. So you know, it might be say, a memory about something that we really like a person, attraction to or the memory of a person or thinking about food or requisites, something. Or it could be dwelling on somebody with aversion. You know, the aversion or the, the greed or the lust or the aversion hasn't arisen yet, but we know by dwelling, thinking about that particular subject or memory, Kilesa is going to arise. So we change the subject change the mood or the thought pattern before Kilesa has, has taken hold of the mind. The part of right effort and the noble part, they actually develop the skill or the strategies to even prevent Kilesa arising. It's not always dealing with Kilesa that has arisen. Often that seems more important. You know, I've fallen into anger or into greed, into lust, into confusion. What do I do? I have to re-establish mindfulness, wisely reflect on this particular state of mind to start abandoning it, turning the mind back to the Dhamma. That's perhaps what we do more often using the meditation techniques, using our Vinaya training and so on. But also the more subtle kilesas, you know, avoiding kilesas arising, knowing your own character, knowing where kilesas tend to arise, what situations, you know, with other people, with food, with sleep, with different situations in our life, or just mentally, just knowing what moods and what objects of mind that if you turn to will stir kilesa, knowing that and steering the mind back away from those. That's what we call apamada, heedfulness. Really guarding over the mind to not let it fall into a, a way of thinking and proliferating that brings kilesa with it. Guarding the sense doors, the sense restraint, what we call indriya sangwara. If you see something that you know 
There are those sights that you know will bring up craving, attraction or aversion. Maybe guarding the eyes so they don't keep looking at those very sights that stir the kalesa. You turn away, guard your eyes. Listening to things, you know, avoid listening to things that stir the kalesa. Obvious things are something like music. Generally we don't listen to music in a monastery, but sometimes you hear it maybe from outside or when you're traveling or visiting home. You see the effect on the mind. Maybe brings up all kinds of emotional states, memories. We associate maybe certain music with different moods, different things, events of our life and so on. But when you see the danger, maybe you realize, mm, maybe best not to listen to much music or be very careful around music. It's just one example. For the effort to prevent kilesa arising, we use many techniques in our practice. If it has arisen, then we have to do a lot of reflection back on the, on the experience. How did that arise? The nature of kilesa, what does it do to the mind? How do we get attached and how do we suffer? Yes, contemplate this, the suffering of attraction when you want something that you haven't got. The movement of the mind always obsessing about things it likes, experiences it likes and wants. And the suffering of aversion when we get caught into different moods of dislike, rejecting different experiences, not wanting certain experiences, but now actually using wisdom and mindfulness to reflect on our experience rather than just following those reactions. This is all Eightfold Path, this is all this process of freeing the mind from kilesa, preventing it arising if it has arisen, freeing the mind from it, and maintaining, upholding, developing the wholesome dhammas, you know, the path factors, the sila, the samadhi, the panya. Ultimately, the path factors are becoming established to the point where kalesa doesn't get her look in. There's no room for kalesa to arise anymore because the path factors are established. We don't break precepts because we've trained in the precepts. We don't lose mindfulness, don't lose samadhi, and insight is established so we don't become deluded by experience anymore. And that's the, the development of the path actually no longer is conditioning the arising of kalesa. So this is the path of practice the Buddha left us. It's our good fortune. We've been born in a time when the Buddhist path is still available, a very complete path of practice, a way of practice that can lead us to experience more of this peace of mind, purity of mind through developing all these factors, sila, samadhi, mindfulness, panya, right view and so on.
And this is what maybe we can reflect on today, the Upposita day, reflect on the, what we've inherited from the Buddha and all the enlightened disciples of the Buddha down to the present day. It's our good fortune, it's our good opportunity to practice. So we can maybe take tonight as a time to practice these teachings. I'll leave you with these reflections tonight. <laughs> 